Joshua chapter 5, if you were there, shout yes. You love God, give me a right on. Now when Joshua, Joshua chapter 5 verse 13. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and he asked, are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither. He replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one come in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have the seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up Every man straight in. What an amazing passage of Scripture. If you wanted to pick a guy in the Bible who had a pretty great understanding of God, I think your short list would have to include this man, Joshua. When you think about his life, about where he had been, about what he's been through, Joshua has got to make your list of somebody who knew God well. Joshua was a guy who used to hang out with Moses. Moses used to literally go out to the tent of meeting outside where Israel were camped and he would talk to God face to face. Joshua would hang around outside that tent. Then when Moses had finished his conversation with God, Joshua was the kid who would crawl inside that tent and just enjoy the afterglow of the presence of God. Joshua was a boy who when he was growing up saw all of the plagues come upon the land of Egypt. He was a slave and he watched all of the sea turn into blood, watched frogs cover the ground, watched gnats begin to eat the the produce of the land of Egypt. I don't even know what a gnat is. I just don't want a gnat anywhere near my physical body. He saw locusts. He saw a plague of hail. He watched the livestock pass away. Uh, Joshua was part of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt, being led by a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. Joshua climbed Mount Sinai with Moses when he ascended that mountain and received the Ten Commandments. Not even the elders were allowed to go up very far, but Joshua got to climb up and serve that great man Moses. What an incredible guy. What a great understanding of God that he had. If there's one thing, church, that I know about life, that I know about God, it is that so much of our lives will be shaped by the understanding that we have of God. Let's call it another word, the revelation that you have of God. The reason why is because your revelation of God, who God is, is going to determine your expectations in life. The way you see God, what you think about God is going to determine what you expect life to look like for you. To put it in the words of Bruce Almighty, 
If you think that God is the mighty smiter, smite me, O mighty smiter. That overbearing father figure with a ruler in his hand looking to whack you when you take a step out of line. Then your expectation in life is that if you make an error, if you have a stumbling point, if you're somehow not doing well on any given day, that God is right there ready to smite you at the moment when you're not doing well. But if you have a revelation of a God who loves you so much that He sent His only Son to die on the cross, so that you and I could have freedom from our sins, forgiveness for our past, and the ability to live for a great future without worrying about what's gone on in yesteryear and know that that God is for you and with you and everything that you face, then your expectation in life is gonna be, man, if God's on my side, then what can come against me? Your revelation leads to your expectation. But you know what? Life goes a little bit further than that. Our expectations tend to create a confirmation. What I mean by that is that the way that we see the world determines the lens through which we view the events in our world. Life conforms to the expectations we have. This is true in every arena of life. I mean, when I'm climbing a hill on my bike with Ben out in front, my expectation is that He'll probably beat me to the top. And I've found that my expectations lead to a confirmation. He generally does beat me to the top. But you know what? It happens in so many areas of life. If you have a revelation of a big God who's for you, with you, going to walk through challenges with you, then your expectation will be God's going to do something great in my life. Then you'll tend to look at life and you'll go, hang on a minute, failure's not what God wants for me. You'll fail, but you'll go, hang on a minute, that's not God's view. That's not God's plan. And the way we see the world comes from the expectations that we have. Man, if you believe that you're brilliant, that God designed you for a reason, that is Psalm 139 says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm too Christian for my church. I mean, if that's the way you see your life, that God loves you, that you're amazing, then you're going to conform life to the fact, hey, I should expect people to love me, expect that God is going to be for me. Things are going to go well for me. I'm going to have some difficult seasons, but God's going to bring me out of it. And our confirmations, in other words, what's conforming, what's shaping our view leads to a realization, meaning that you'll end up living where your revelation started. If you believe God's great, then you'll expect great, then you'll look at life and go it in great, and then you'll end up living great. And everything about life comes back to the understanding that we have of God. And that's why Joshua blows me away. Because here is a guy who understands so very much about God. The Bible tells us that Joshua served Moses for 40 years. And then Joshua one day is talking with Moses and Moses says, hey, I'm headed off into the wilderness. I'm going to die and I'm never coming back. And then Joshua waves goodbye as Moses heads off into the distance. And sure enough, Moses never came back. God turns up in Joshua's life. And the first thing God ever said to Joshua recorded in the Bible is, Moses, my servant, is dead. Man, for so many people, that's the most powerful thing you could actually ever hear, is that what happened yesterday is gone. It's over. That chapter is closed. So many people are waiting for something of yesterday to be righted before they can move forward. No, it's dead, it's gone, it's buried. 
Sometimes we even waste so much of our lives trying to get back what we think is missing from what happened in our, man, we're just gonna let go of what happened in the past and believe that the God of our abundant grace is gonna help us with what's coming ahead. Moses is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River. Joshua had lived in that wilderness environment for the last 40 years. And God said to him, the first thing I want you to do is to cross the Jordan, leave behind where you have been living and step now into what the Bible describes as the promised land. From an arid wilderness into a land that flows with milk and honey. The Bible tells us that when this passage of Scripture is recorded, Joshua is standing on the summit of a mountain and he is surveying the walls of Jericho. You know, Joshua is a man who knows a lot about God. And I bet there are people in this room who know a lot about God. They've been on a journey with Jesus, maybe for months, maybe for years, maybe for decades. And Joshua's gone back and he's saying about this God, he's saying, you know what? God gave a vision and a dream to our forefather, Abraham. He is a God of vision. He is a God of dreams. Anybody happy to serve a God who's got a dream for you and a vision for why you were created? He's looking at it and saying, you know what? When we came out of Egypt and we were in the wilderness and we didn't have any food, God caused manna to come every single morning. Manna in the Hebrew, which the Bible was originally written in, literally means what is it? They ate what is it every day. Today, it's got a new name, stew. Not the person, the dish. What is it? Stew. Manna. They would eat this manna every day. And he says, man, you know what? It doesn't matter whether I've got the resources. God is faithful and He is a God who always provides for me. Is anybody grateful that God does provide? He helps you out when you need it. He's saying, you know what? You know what? When those armies came against Israel, Moses got me to lead the charge because he was really old. And I would go out there and lead the armies. And God always protected us in battle. It didn't matter who tried to kill us. God always protected us. And man, I'm grateful for a God who will protect you, who goes before you, who sends His angels to guard you. I pray that over my children every single night. And He's saying, man, we serve an amazing God, a God of visions and dreams, a God who provides for you even when you can't provide for yourself, a God who protects you no matter what is coming your way. You know, our natural want in life is to try to define God. We do it with people. We do it with God. The way we naturally think about life is we like to put everything in a little box. We like to figure it out. I was talking with a guy the other day and he goes, oh, this is what you're like. And within 20 minutes, he's trying to, you know, he's talking to me about who I am and the kind of personality that I have. And I found myself agreeing with him far too many times because I'm not the only one in this auditorium tonight who doesn't like to be put in a box. And we tend to do this with God. We try to say, well, this is what you are like. You you are a God who provides for us. You are a God who heals us. You are a God, you know, who protects us. You You are the God who gives us a dream. And we put God in a box. We like to do it with God. We like to do it with people. I've tried for 18 years of marriage to do it with Jillian. Just kind of figure her out. Just understand This woman that I'm so blessed to do life with. I love her like crazy. I do not, I do not understand her. (laughs) I remember when we were just first married, you know. Her first birthday rolls around. 
Okay, I come from the Cameron family. In the Cameron family, birthdays are celebrated at dinner time. Now, because I'm a newly, I get laughs from guys across the front row because everybody here knows that if the guy's got to have the present at dinner time, bet your bottom dollar, he doesn't have it when he wakes up in the morning. I mean, that's never going to happen, right? It's going to be 4.30. You're rushing in to buy it, right? Well, for Jillian's family, birthday presents are given the moment that you wake up. There is an expectation that it's going to be right there and given to you. I mean, the moment that you wake up. Problem is, I didn't know that. So that was not a good day. But, you know, I got her a present. I turned up to dinner, and sure enough, I have a bottle of a perfume that she likes. The perfume was called Armourish. I gave her this bottle of perfume, and she's like, oh, honey, thank you. That's so good. You love me. I'm like, yes, I do. I just didn't know that this had to happen at 6.30 in the morning. I'm ready at 6.39. So the next year rolls around. Hey, you know, I'm thinking as her birthday approaches, I'm thinking I got this down. You know why? Because the bottle of Armourish is nearly empty. Now, this is what we guys do. You know, once we've found... Once we've found whatever fragrance we like, right, we're just going to just stay on that bandwagon until somebody tells us that we've got to do different. If it works, don't fix it, you know? So, so I'm thinking, brilliant. I don't even need to ask her what she wants for her birthday. So I went out. I got her a fresh bottle of Armourish. It's ready the day before, March the 1st. It's ready for 6.30 in the morning, March the 2nd. March the 2nd rolls around. I grab the present. I put it in her hands. Her eyes are bright. She's excited. That's a miracle at 6.30 in the morning in another cell. She takes the present, unwraps the wrapping, and every husband in this room has seen this look. Oh, oh, thanks. Oh, that, that's so nice of you. The Bible says, yes, yes, but your heart's not with you. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, baby, what's wrong? What's wrong? I got you the perfume. She goes, well, I used to like Armourish. But now I like, you know, she's got something new. Can't remember what it was, but I've got something new that I like. And that's the problem with women. You can't put them in a box. There's only two things you need to know about women. Nobody knows either of them. Nobody knows them. And the God of the universe is exactly like that. The God of our universe, the God that we're talking about tonight is not easily put in a box. In fact, in the Psalms, he says, you thought I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you to your face. In other words, you can't nail me down. You can't categorize God. You can't say, I've got God figured out and this is what God's like. Joshua, the Bible says, when our passage of Scripture is written, is standing on a hill. He is looking at a new challenge. And as he's surveying the challenge that is in front of him, he feels unable to conquer it with his current revelation of God. He's looking at this challenge. And you know what, friends? The size of our God determines the size of our life. In fact, I believe with all my heart that the size of our problems begin and end with the size of our God. 
Man, if you've got a piece of God to help you with what you're facing, it's small. If you don't, it's big. And Joshua is looking at the walls of Jericho, a massive city, a city with walls so wide, they raced chariots around its walls. They had a road on top of the walls. They said about Jericho that you cannot penetrate these walls. The city cannot be conquered. They said about the city that no one will ever take it. And here is Joshua looking at the walls of Jericho. And this is what he's thinking to himself. He's thinking, you know, provision ain't going to knock down these walls. He's thinking, you know what? Manna, no matter how much falls, is not going to be enough to blow down the walls of Jericho. He's thinking, man, you know what? A dream I need more than a dream. God will give me a dream, but I need more than a dream. He's thinking defensive, a God who will will protect me. I don't need protection. I'm not in trouble. I'm trying to advance forward. And Joshua is looking at the walls of Jericho, searching within himself for a piece of God to help him with what he faces now. It's a difficult point in life where you find yourself Waking up like Joshua did, facing challenges that you've never been. I mean, Joshua is in a place of opportunity that he's never been in before. There are more opportunities for Joshua in one day in Canaan than there was in a year in the wilderness. I mean, he could do so much. But he finds himself waking up one day and he is in a place that is totally different to anywhere that he's ever been. It's very scary if you ever wake up in that place. When you've been one way, lived with a certain set of challenges, gone through life in a certain dimension, and one day you wake up and you realize life just changed. It sneaks up on you. Suddenly, suddenly what's been building for a long time has happened and you realize that you're not where you were. It's a weird thing when what used to work for you doesn't work anymore. When your reflexes are redundant, when your impulses are incorrect, when you're surveying a challenge and feeling, I don't know what to do with this challenge that I'm facing. That's how Joshua felt. He'd woken up in a whole new era, living in a whole new kind of time in his life. And he's looking at this whole new world, a brand new world, a whole fantastic point of view. Na, na, da, da, da. We got into that, I'm not sure how, but we're talking about the fact that Joshua wakes up in a whole new world. He is standing there looking at the walls of Jericho and he's going through what he knows of God to look for a piece of God to help him now. And he finds himself empty. And the Bible tells us that between Joshua and the walls of Jericho, there appears a man. Joshua doesn't recognize this man. He does not know what this man represents for him. We also see in this passage that without God, without anything of God to help him, Joshua looks at his challenges and assumes that they are his and not God's. When he sees this man standing in front of him, Joshua says to the man, are you for us or are you for our enemies? In other words, this is my problem. This is my challenge. And he's standing in front of him is what Joshua defines as a man. The man standing in front of him replies to Joshua and he says, neither. I did not come to take sides. I came to take over. And he says to Joshua, as commander of the armies of the Lord, I have 
now come. It begins to dawn on Joshua that God did come to Abraham as the God who will give you a vision and a dream. He came to Israel as the God who will deliver you out of no matter what has held you in slavery your whole life. And God came to them as the God of deliverance. He came, He came to the Israelites in the wilderness as the God who will provide for you. He came to Joshua as the God who will protect you. But now in front of Joshua, he sees this man and the man says to him, as commander of the armies of the Lord, I have now come. And it dawns on Joshua that the man standing in front of him is no man at all. In fact, the man he thought was standing in front of him is in fact God Himself, revealing Himself to Joshua as now a military stands with a drawn sword in his hand, armour and ready to fight. And he says, as commander of the armies of the Lord, I have now come. You know, my friends, it's amazing to know that Joshua, when he meets this man, discovers in a moment, even though he's knowing so much about God, this man who has heard God talk to Moses, this man who was there when fingers wrote on tablets of stone, 10 commandments, this man who slept under a pillar, of cloud, a pillar of fire at night and was led by a pillar of cloud by day, this man who had seen God do so very much, finds himself having a moment in this passage of Scripture with an unfamiliar God. The same God, the very same God, but a God who has the ability to reveal Himself to us in ways with which we are unfamiliar. And really the essence of what my message is about for us tonight is about the reality that as long, no matter how long or how short you have been following Jesus and learning more about Him, in part, He will always be for all of us an unfamiliar God. As long as God is God, He always has the ability to turn up in our lives and show us something about Himself with which we never thought He would. And this is what makes Him the God of the universe. He can't be put in boxes. He's not the God of the box. He is the God who is the box breaker. He comes to our lives and He shatters what we've thought about Him up until this moment and shows us more of who He is. I love that about God, don't you? No matter how long I've been following Him, there is so much more to learn about Him. I've been married to Julian for 18 years and I've still got a long way to go. But God, no matter how long you've known Him, defies our expectations, reveals Himself to us, shows us new things of who He is. And every person in this room needs to know about God, that there are parts of Him that will always be beyond us. He will always be an unfamiliar God. It's amazing to note the disciples, even though they hung out with Jesus for so long, spent every day, they slept in the same sort of environment with Jesus. They had private conversations with Him, sat by the fire at night, ate with Him for breakfast, hung out with Jesus all the time. But even after three years, there was still so much about Jesus that they had not figured out. I mean, one day the disciples and Jesus are walking down a street together and they see a man sitting on the side of the road who had been born blind. Perhaps the greatest problem with any person who gets religion and not a real relationship with God is that they try to blame somebody for the problems of the world. And problems don't exist for Christians to level blame about who caused them. Problems exist for people who love Jesus to do something about them. 
And here we've got Jesus walking down the street with the disciples. They see a man sitting on the side of the road who has been born blind. And they say to Jesus, who sinned? This man? What, did he kick his mother in, in the kidney while he was in the womb? I mean, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? I mean, you know what? You've got to be a pretty evil prenatal baby that you sin so greatly that God, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. I saw you grab mom's, you know, liver and shake it a bit, you know. You kept her up late at nights. Blindness is, I mean, you know what? What are the disciples thinking about what kind of God we're talking about? But they just want to obfuscate, find somebody that they can dismiss the problem to. And Jesus says, oh man, how long am I going to have to put up with you? Don't you understand it yet? That's literally what Jesus said. He says, neither but that the works of God might be revealed in him. And then he said to the blind man, eyes be opened and his sight was restored that very moment. We're here to make a difference. God, God's got something more to show us. Oh, church, think about Isaiah. Isaiah was already a prophet when Isaiah 9 was written. Have you ever read Isaiah 9, one of my favorite passages of Scripture? The Bible says that Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. I want you to understand that Isaiah was already a prophet, a mouthpiece of God, standing next to the high priest in the temple when he sees this vision of God. Already a prophet, sees a vision of God, already speaks for God, saw a vision of God, and the Bible says that when he sees God for who he really is, he says, woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the Lord, the Lord of glory. In other words, when he saw God, he saw something about God that he'd never seen before. And when you and I have our eyes open, when we see him for who he really is, then it allows us to live differently. If there was no Isaiah 9, there would be no book of Isaiah. But when Isaiah discovered a God bigger, greater, more holy, and more powerful than he'd ever seen before, it changed his life and empowered his future. That's why our lives are a journey of discovering who God is. Simon Peter. Simon Peter attached or followed Jesus because of his power. Simon Peter's a young leader, a blinding, choleric personality, wanting to change the world and wanting to be the guy who did it. He followed Jesus because Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you. He followed Jesus because Jesus had the power to bring dead people back to life again. He followed Jesus because Jesus was able to heal the sick, was able to make a difference, was able to do powerful and amazing things. And he said, I want to be around that God of power. Listen, pity any person who attributes divinity to power without love. Our God is not just God because He is a God of infinite power. He is God, He is divine, He is holy, and He is worthy of our adoration because He is not only a God of absolute power, He is also a God of unconditional love. That's why Jesus orchestrated events in Peter's life so that Peter, in front of a fire one night, denied Jesus three times. And the Scripture says that across the fire in the temple courtyard, while soldiers were beating Jesus and ripping the hair of His beard from His face, that Jesus looked up at Peter with the same look that He'd had the day before when Peter was doing really well in his life, was the same look of love Jesus gave him the next day when he was a total failure in life. 
And that moment, Peter discovered a God, not just of absolute power, but of unconditional love. And that's why he's our God. Can somebody say, yeah? Think about Thomas. Thomas, the disciple, followed Jesus because Jesus was a God of unconditional love. Because Jesus said, if you're weak, if you're needy, you can come to me. He said, if you're distressed, you can come to me. He fed, the, he fed those who were in need. He cared for the poor and for the people that were ostracized by society. He forgave the woman who was caught in sin and tried to be labeled by society. He cared for those who were downcast. Jesus was a loving individual. Pity any person who attaches divinity to love without power because it will motivate something, but it will never bring the transformation that we seek. So it was that when Jesus was resurrected from the grave, 10 of the disciples, there's only 11 left, 10 of the disciples were in the room when He appeared. But the one who was left out was Thomas. The Bible says for the next few days, Thomas is left out not knowing whether Jesus is even risen because he said, unless I touch Him, unless I touch Him, I will not believe. Then the Bible says that Jesus turns up in Thomas's life, stands before him, and he says, Thomas, put your finger in my side, put your hand into the hole, see it and believe. And the Bible says Thomas fell to his feet and gave the most personal accolade given to Jesus in all of the Bible. He said, my Lord and my God. Not just you are Lord, my Lord and my God. As Thomas discovered a God who loves the world so greatly that he'd lay down his life and a God of such great power that not even the grave could hold him. That God was to Thomas an unfamiliar God. That God of love was unfamiliar to Peter. And church, no longer, no matter how long you've been going in life and how long you've known Jesus, the truth is He always has the ability to show Himself to us in ways with which we are unfamiliar. He defies our definitions. He's beyond us. And our life is a journey of discovering more of who He is. We're all on that journey. And as we walk that journey together, we discover more about who He is. And as we discover it, it changes the way that we see the world. The problem perhaps with Christians sometimes is that we, we can be so busy jumping on the bandwagon of things that are new and trying to just pull them down rather than realizing that God is the God who's present and able to help us with no matter what we're facing now. When I grew up in church, it was a huge question mark as to whether you were even allowed to, you know, have drums in a church service, you know. I remember, you know, my parents were church people. And, you know, when I, when, when, <laughs> when I started listening to, you know, when I, I kind of went away, right away from all things church and all that. And, you know, well, you know, there was a lot of conversations, you know what I'm saying? And I was like, you know, can you, can, can you hear that drum beat? You know, that, that rock and roll music, you know, that's, that's, that can't be right. That's, that's clearly not, it's like a Congo beat. It's like, you know, like we, you know that, that's what they do when they're, they're doing their, their voodoo out there in the Congo, you know, like that. And Christians can jump on board with stuff just because they don't know what they're facing rather than realizing that no matter what challenge you face and no matter what season of life you're in and no matter where you are, God always is available to us to show us something more of who He is, no matter what the new season of life may be. He will always be an unfamiliar God. And friends, if you take your notes, you could chuck these points down. But revelation, a revelation of God leads to an innovation. 
See, the thing about our lives is that unless we discover God in a new way, we tend to just stay in the same rut. Who's ever heard, who's ever heard of marching around a city six days, and then on the seventh day, march around the same city seven times, and then giving a loud shout, and after you give that loud shout, you know what? The walls of the city are going to come down. The only way in that age that you conquered a city was you erected siege works, and you starved the people in the city until they came out and surrendered. That's the only way you could take it. Yet what took years, Joshua did in one calendar week. And that's the thing about innovation. It allows you to do things that people have yet to do, to move beyond boundaries that people have yet to move beyond. Innovation is not always in the dramatic. I mean, we see it with technology, but how about the fundamentals? How about the fact that when you discover a God of love and forgiveness, you will innovate the way maybe your families live forever and stop trying to extract that thing from somebody in your past and just let it go and move forward. It's there in the huge, it's there in the small. But revelation leads to you doing life different to the way you've done it so far. And that is what God is all about. He's saying, Joshua, you know what? I am a man with a drawn sword. I got your back when you take this city down. I'm with you always. And then out of it came innovation and innovation leads to possession. They took Jericho. And you can take your promises. You can do what God's called you to do. Our lives are not limited. We can move forward and be the people God's called us to be. There's not a person in this room tonight that needs to live with the same feeling of life is scary and I am a victim. No, God is for you. He is with you. He is available. He can help. He is concerned. Joshua stands on top of a mountain, surveying a challenge that is in front of him. He's talking to his soldiers and he's saying, we've got this, but it's a hollow call to war. He's trying to lead with courage, but his courage has no substance. He's just looking at a challenge going, this is bigger than me. I remember when my son, Will, you know, uh, who I love so much, got an autoimmune disease when he was about three and a half years old. I was in Melbourne. Dines on the front row, had to take him to the hospital. You know, they're holding him down to get a lumbar puncture. You know, it's just a really horrible, horrible season of my life. Jillian calls me and says, they think Will's got an autoimmune disease. I think the disease is called, I always say it wrong, Guillain-Barre. Anyway, something like that. I hang up the phone. I say to the guy driving the car, have you ever heard of an autoimmune disease called Guillain-Barre? He says, heard of it. I had it. When I was 12 years old, they carried me into the hospital. I couldn't walk. Um, I had no strength, couldn't do anything. They put me on a respirator. Basically, it attacks the central nervous system and all the muscles in the body begin to stop one by one by one until at the, its pinnacle, it, you even lose the ability for your lung muscles to work. He said, when I was 13 years old, they put braces on my leg like Forrest Gump. They taught me to walk again. And I'm like, God. I mean, you know, I'm on the phone to Jillian. I'm saying, baby, God's going to heal him. But I, hadn't, I didn't have anything of God to help me with that challenge. That was a hollow call. Had no substance to it. I was just trying to be a positive man. But I got to my hotel room that night, that day. Couldn't get back to Wellington until the next morning. I didn't sleep that night. But I took every verse that the Bible has to offer. 
and what God says about healing. He bore our infirmities. He healed all our diseases. By His stripes, we are made whole. And I took verse after verse and I just prayed them. I prayed them. I prayed them. I prayed them. I guess the best way I can tell it to you is like about maybe three in the morning, suddenly one day, one moment, I see this picture of my son, Will, and he's a teenager. He's tall, he's handsome, he's popular. He still had blonde hair. I can, you know, you can just see these things sometimes in pictures. He was popular. <laughs> just had friends around him, you know what I mean? I mean, I've just heard of a kid who's had to learn to walk. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's what I'm carrying. And then I see this kid who's just, just doing life, dexterous, coordinated. And I text Jillian at half past three in the morning. I said, sweetheart, he's going to be fine. It was no longer a hollow call to war. By the time I got home the next day, you know, already Will had started to stabilize. And I don't really understand the ins and outs of the disease, but he'd been heading down and it goes down, 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 down. From that night, from that night, he never went down a single step more. When I got home, I prayed for him and I just knew that God was touching his life. Six weeks later, he was released from the care of the specialist. And the specialist said to me, in my 28 years of medicine, I've never seen a kid with a milder dose of this disease than your son. He told me, and I haven't substantiated it, but he said, there's never been another kid in New Zealand who's had this disease who did not need physio physiotherapy to recover from it. And I believe, I can tell you right now, I just in my life, I just feel like, you know what? Sickness is not as big as I thought it was, you know? And when you discover that God is with you, see, any time in your life you feel afraid and alone and you're looking at a challenge that seems too big, I'm here to tell you there is a God who is bigger. But maybe right now that God is just a man with a drawn sword in his hand, standing between us and the challenges of life, saying, hello. And I believe that for many people in this room tonight, that might be the greatest thing that could happen. As we could start to reach out for an unfamiliar God. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and John Cameron, go to arise.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at John Cameron NZ and at Arise Church.